This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Spring into pre-emergent weed control action for canola and pulse crops with Edge Microactive. Powerful Group 3 action takes out the broadest assortment of grass and broadleaf weeds, including kochia, wild buckwheat, and barnyard grass, before they can take over your crop. Use Edge Microactive as a part of your herbicide layering program to help maximize yields today and manage resistance tomorrow. Go to ca.gowanco.com for details. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Welcome, everyone. My name is Dylan Shirley, and I'll be your host for this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Megan Morant. She is the canola and edible bean specialist with Omafra. Megan, welcome to Inputs. Hi, Dylan. Thanks for having me. And thanks for joining us today. So on this week's episode, we're going to be heading back east. We're going to be talking about uh, canola production and just kind of considerations for seeding in canola uh, with with respect to Ontario. So to get us going here, um, what are the major regions in Ontario that are growing canola? Yeah, so we don't grow a lot of canola, especially compared to Western Canada, but uh, by far uh, Temiskaming district is our biggest region. So one of the most most Northern uh, farming regions of the province. Uh, Last year, half of our acres of canola were in Temiskaming. And then we also have a fair bit in Bruce, Gray, Wellington, Dufferin counties, kind of like a central uh, part of the province. Uh, Some people call it north, but it's not really. (laughs) Um, And then we're starting to see a little bit more production in the northwest. So Thunder Bay and Rainy River are finding it's a good fit, which is uh, kind of exciting to see more production there. And then finally, uh, last couple of years, we have a little bit more or growing acreage of winter canola in our southernmost parts of the province. Great. So just in terms of like numbers for acres or maybe even just a monetary amount, uh, can you just talk about how much actual canola is grown in Ontario? Yeah, um, usually between 30 and 40,000 acres annually. So not a ton. Uh, in 2019 and 2020, we were around 30,000 acres. Uh, in 2021, we we're a little closer to 40,000 acres. So I, I anticipate acreage maybe climbing a little this year uh, with, with strong pricing, but um, yeah, that's kind of where we put, uh, where, where we are uh, down from maybe years ago prior to our issues with Swedenage. Right. Well, this, it, from what you're saying, it does sound that there is a tend for an increase on for canola in Ontario. And you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, winter canola and spring canola. Um, that might be a weird concept to uh, some folks in, in the West. So what are kind of the main differences between the two different uh, canola? Yeah, so winter canola isn't really new to Ontario, but we're seeing a renewed interest, I guess, which is maybe coming with some uh, better genetics. So they're very similar. They're the same species. Um, and we manage them in, in a very similar way. It's just kind of... Uh, the, the regions that you farm in kind of dictate which, which of those two spring versus winter you can grow. And also a little bit um, soil types and drainage are, are a factor as well. But otherwise, very similar. So 
you know, despite them being similar, are there different pros and cons between the two that a grower might need to take into consideration before they decide if they're going to tackle on a winter canola versus a spring canola? Yeah, for sure. So again, it's kind of just where you farm. So in the north, it's just too harsh in the winter and in the early spring to grow the, the fall planted crop. And then in the southern parts of the province, it's too hot to grow spring canola. Uh, it's too hot during flowering to grow, grow spring canola. So um, there are those farming sort of in between Alora and Barrie and kind of those central areas, give or take, uh, that can and, and parts of eastern Ontario that can do both successfully, which is kind of cool, and they can kind of split their risks that way, and some are doing that. Um, and then again, uh, soil type and drainage, so clays, poorly drained soils make uh, winter survival kind of a significant risk. But So we want growers to be choosy about their field selection for winter survival. But um, other differences, uh, spring canola tends to have a lot more insect issues, at least so far. Um, we don't see flea beetle in winter canola. We don't see swede midge, um, you know, but of course the winter survival is the big, biggest risk on that fall planted crop. Um, and the other kind of issue we're seeing some years with winter canola is that it may mature at the same time as winter wheat, which can create a significant logistical challenge for some producers. You know, which crop do I take off first and do I have trucks for, for both of those crops? Right. And I like how you're talking about uh, winter survival ship of this winter canola. And I just want to move our timeline a little bit to the spring there and, and just discuss um, the potential frost damage on winter canola. So how big of an issue is a spring frost either early or late uh, on uh, winter canola? Yeah, um, I think this was, you know, I wasn't really around uh, years ago when, when there was some uh, winter canola being tried and we were having these problems. But yeah, a spring frost, um, especially with those older varieties, um, could, could definitely kill the plants. So we often see cold temperatures or snow in late April and early May when, when winter canola is flowering. And that sometimes meant uh, plant death. But with the germplasm we're working with now, the variety Mercedes is actually globally one of the most winter hardy varieties uh, we've seen. And, and when it's flowering in the spring, we've seen it handle temperatures of even minus four for a couple hours and come through it with very minimal damp damage. Kind of droops over and looks kind of sad when it's cold and sometimes it gets some snow on it. But I've been really happy with what we've seen uh, Mercedes tolerate. So speaking of toleration of those kind of temperatures, how should a producer, uh, when they go out into their field after um, some colder temperatures, how should they assess uh, frost damage? Yeah, so the first thing this time of year, um, growers are just looking at, did that crop survive the winter? Um, so we kind of want uh, fairly large or up to eight leaf uh, rosettes heading into winter. Um, and then now we're just looking for green growing points and good anchorage in the soil. So uh, the leaves may be brown or purple. I've had uh, calls from growers saying, oh, the field looks awful and it's a deep purple color. But if the growing point is green, then, then it's, and it's, like I said, there's not exposed roots, it's not heaved out of the soil, then uh, it's typically good to go. So I've even seen uh, where there was no leaves on the crop in the spring, just some like tiny leaves at the growing point. But if 
has a nice big root and nice healthy crown and, and a green growing point, then it'll recover just fine. So, um, and we'll, uh, this time of year, we'll also cut a few plants open to make sure the crowns and stems are not hollow or necrotic inside. Um, sometimes it'll grow, but inside it'll be hollow or necrotic. And then it, of course it has low yield potential. So, and that's caused by harsh conditions, rapid freeze thaw. So then like later, as I said, maybe when you have frost during flowering, um, you, uh, we look for aborted flower buds, which of course plant can recover from early damage to those first flower buds. It'll, it'll put on more branches and, and additional uh, buds and stems kind of to compensate. So we've, like I said, we've seen uh, good results, but um, sometimes there are some cracked stems. They just kind of explode or crack. Um, and we don't, so far I haven't seen a lot of that and we have seen cracked stems. Luckily the plants, you know, in theory you could get some disease kind of moving in but uh, haven't seen too many problems that way either. So. so overall, it seems like the varieties that uh, winter canola producers are dealing with now are a little bit more hardy and a little bit more tolerant of some kind of temperatures. And it in large ways seems like a patience game, just waiting yeah. to see if your plant did survive the winter or, you know, through an early frost. Yeah, for sure. Especially the first couple times uh, you grow winter canola, it, it can be a little scary this time of the year. You think, oh my gosh, it's definitely dead. But um, yeah, and, and sometimes you're not sure, will it have yield potential? Will it not? And usually you just have to wait another week or two to uh, the, the dead plants will be more dead in another week. So, um, but yeah, that is uh, one of the sort of difficult parts. Um, the reality is we only have one variety registered in Ontario. And like I said, it's uh, Mercedes is known globally to be pretty winter hardy. So I'm very happy with that variety and the results that we've seen. And uh, we had some support from um, Rubisco Seeds in Kentucky sharing some uh, different varieties with us to test in Southern Ontario to see which would be a good fit for us. And, and yeah, we're happy that uh, CNM Seeds um, picked up Mercedes and is making it available here. So I would love to have more varieties, but I'm at least very happy with the one that we have. Yeah, all it takes is one very good one to kind of get the ball rolling to maybe get some other ones available for producers. For sure. So we've touched uh, uh, on a good discussion about winter canola, but let's take it back to maybe what people are more aware of, and that's spring canola. So just in terms of when a producer should go out, uh, what kind of influences the seeding date for spring canola in Ontario? Yeah, so for spring canola, we're, we're usually uh, trying to seed as early as we can in Ontario has been the general recommendation in the last, you know, five to 10 years. Uh, so of course, when conditions, soil conditions allow for it, um, but typically mid-April to mid-May, um, ideally when the soil is five degrees Celsius or warmer, because we want that vigorous growth. Um, and you know, light frost isn't maybe a problem down to minus two, but a deeper frost can lead to replanting. So after the risk of frost, but uh, here in Ontario, early planting has been kind of valuable in terms of helping us avoid swede midge damage. Uh, we want to get that crop bolted um, before swede midge emerge from the soil at the end of May or beginning of June. And, you know, that can be a challenge some years, but um, 
That said, uh, some growers in, in Northern Ontario have also had success with June plantings, if, if it comes down to that. Um, and at least if you're planting in June, it tends to grow very quickly. Um, so, but yeah, we're hoping to have seeding done by mid-May, um, particularly because of that Swedenage issue. Definitely. And just for the seeding rate, you know, just trying to get the optimum plant stand for a specific field, what goes into the calculation that a producer has to uh, try to figure out how to get that, uh, you know, optimal plant stand? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, um, you know, as as producers likely know, for spring canola, there's quite a wide range of populations that lead to strong yields. Um, and, but we do have to balance our seed costs against potential low rates of emergence and losses to insects. So. Um, you know, we, we usually aim for six to eight plants per square foot, which is normal. And then we have some, some plants to buffer against like losses to flea beetle and things like that and still have good yield potential. So typically, you know, 400,000 seeds per acre is a general target. We're definitely guilty of the, you know, five pounds of seed to the acre, but trying to move to, to discussing seeds per acre for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, and we also have to acknowledge the fact that some of the seeding equipment we use isn't super precise and it can be uh, difficult to be exact. But yeah, I think most growers are shooting for 400,000 seeds to the acre. So now that uh, we've, we have a hypothetical producer that's going to be seeding earlier, uh, shooting for that 400,000, what now they're sitting in their equipment, what uh, kind of factors influence uh, their planting depth? Or is that uh, an important factor that they should take into uh, consideration? I think so. Um, because it's a small seed, we don't want to seed too deep. And uh, it's been interesting kind of coaching the winter canola growers that are new to the crop altogether, because uh, we, we really don't want to put that seed uh, deep like we would corn and soybeans. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, there's not a lot of energy in that small seed to come up from a deep seeding. Um, and we, you know, we have seen some of those fungal diseases uh, when you when you jam that seed in too deep. So, of course, less than an inch is ideal. And then uh, we, we tend to have excessive moisture in the east compared to in the west where you might have more dry conditions. Um, but uh, yeah, so if it happens to be dry, dry soil, then there are advantages to maybe going an inch and a half into moisture, but really no deeper than that. Right, just trying to find where the water is so the seed actually germinates properly. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we've touched a little bit on the insects and the and some other factors, but in terms of after they've seeded, what um, or when should a producer start thinking about replanting and trying to make that kind of harsh choice uh, to have to go back out there into their field again? Yeah, um, we, I know emergence is often variable, but like canola can do well at a range of populations. So for us, a replant situation is usually fairly obvious. Uh, it's either following a frost or significant flea beetle damage, right? Um, and yeah, we had some situations last year in Northern Ontario where almost all the acres were planted and then we had a minus five frost and everything was just fried. So uh, pretty obvious that it all need to be reseeded. Um, but yeah, like I said, otherwise it can do fairly well at low populations. Uh, 
we have an even stand we'll we'll hang on to populations down to four plants per square foot if we need to but yeah replant decisions aren't i don't i don't have that question a lot it seems here in ontario <laughs> Well, that's good. I mean, no one likes to, you know, have to redo all that work um, because of, you know, some small pesky little insect or a little cold temperatures. But sure. so now that our hypothetical uh, producer has seeded their field and they don't have to replant, let's talk about uh, fertility management. And I think the king of all uh, fertility and just the nutrients that you're trying to put in your field, uh, is nitrogen. Uh, so is nitrogen application different between winter and spring canola? And do you have some kind of suggested rates for each of the different varieties? Yeah, for sure. Um, again, they're, they're the same species and we look at the rates like this kind of similar, um, you know, canola needs three to three and a half pounds of nitrogen per bushel, but yields do tend to be higher with winter canola. So, um, you know, our rates kind of match those higher yields in winter canola. And uh, we also like to put some nitrogen down in the fall, unless it's like a field with a lot of uh, history of manure or, or maybe we've applied manure at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, so in winter canola, uh, we're trying to put down up to about 40 pounds of actual nitrogen in the fall. And then 120 to 150 pounds in the spring, so maybe a little higher than uh, what we're what we're used to in spring canola. And uh, we we are using like liquid forms of of fertilizer in the in the spring, uh, putting it on with like a dribble uh, dribble bar, applying it that way. Um, but granular products work too. And then spring canola, um, yeah, we're basically in general, producers are applying around 120 pounds of actual nitrogen per acre. Usually here in Ontario, we're broadcasting ahead of seeding. Um, and yeah, maybe if you if you tend to enjoy higher yields, uh, you might uh, apply a little more than 120 pounds per acre. But and and I know we especially uh, in certain parts of the province, we have a lot of dairy farms that are growing canola, and so they tend to have fertile fields uh, around their dairy barns. So that's kind of the rule of thumb. And we, we had a, um, a speaker series recently. Um, we had some Canola Council members, agronomists join us and other specialists from the West. But we also had Albin Gunnarsson from Sweden come and talk to us about winter canola. And uh, we haven't done a lot of or any <laughs> winter canola fertility research in Ontario. Uh, so it was nice to hear that what we're doing is aligning with what, uh, what's happening in other jurisdictions. So, yeah. Well, that just sounds like a potential research project that for someone listening, they should hop yeah. on. <laughs> I think there are some proposals in the works. So <laughs> oh, good to hear. Good to hear. Can't wait to hear about that then. Um, so other nutrients that, uh, producers might be considering, uh, like phosphorus, potash and sulfur, what kind of uh, steps do does a producer have to take uh, in order to uh, think about if they need to apply those to their field? Yeah, for uh, phosphorus and potassium, we, we tend not to see much of a yield impact with those nutrients. So we're basically applying them based on soil tests or replacement in previous crops. 
for our corn and soybeans, if those are in rotation, you know, we're trying to maintain certain soil fertility levels for good results in those crops too. Um, but uh, we do like to have good vigor early in the seed in the seedling stages. So most producers are putting down some starter phosphorus. Um, we, you know, we talk about safe rates of phosphorus with the seed. Um, 50, 15 to 20 pounds of actual phosphate breaker. But uh, I think in Ontario, there's some inching a little higher than that um, and, and not seeing too many issues. And, and we are seeing some mid-row banding of, of phosphorus, like starter phosphorus. So that's certainly a little safer. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the general practice here. And of course, uh, most of us know that sulfur is a must-have for canola. Um, there's a high sulfur demand, so usually 20 pounds of actual sulfate uh, covers our needs. Um, and maybe a little, a touch more in winter canola if yields are higher, but again, uh, we don't have uh, much research on, on winter canola. So I'm usually recommending you know, if it's 20 pounds of sulfate you're putting down, try to put some in the fall and some in the spring, and that's pretty general, but maybe half and half. Um, we kind of um, guesstimating based on uh, what we know from spring canola and, you know, how much it takes up up to the six leaf stage and then how much it needs kind of right prior to bolting. So yeah, sulfur, sulfur is important. Um, and that again has been a lesson for our, um, new winter canola growers. Um, we've seen some sulfur deficient crops, which is actually kind of interesting because I've never seen that before in spring canola because we're, you know, well-educated there. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm just making sure we have sulfur on that. Winter canola is is important too. Great. Well, that's definitely something I didn't know for, for consideration for winter canola. So that's awesome to hear. Uh, so let's go into some of the bads that uh, a producer might be finding in their fields, the insects, the fungal diseases, the viruses. Um, when should a producer start scouting um, their fields to kind of see what could be going on wrong if one of these big bads are uh, headed their way? Yeah, for sure. Uh, canola is one of those crops where you're kind of scouting immediately, <laughs> especially in uh, our spring canola crop. So lots of scouting. Um, we do see a lot of like hiring independent uh, or hiring agronomists to, to scout the crop for us. Um, but uh, yeah, in the early stages, we're watching for flea beetle, of course, in spring canola. And as soon as the canola is out of the ground, we put in traps to uh, pheromone traps to monitor for Swede midge so that we know when they show up because invariably they will show up. Um, and uh, all through the season, there seems to be a reason to scout. Uh, there are other insects we watch for, like uh, sometimes we have cutworms like randomly uh sometimes we have diamondback moth also seems kind of random of course they come in on the wind so that kind of makes sense uh cabbage seed pod weevil uh we never really know if they're going to show up or not so we're scouting for them as well um and of course diseases um the key here is you know white mold and actually hopefully we never see white mold <laughs> there's a high probability of getting white mold here in ontario so moist and canola canopy is so thick. So we're typically applying a preventative fungicide and, and like I said, hopefully never seeing it. Um, and of course we're also on the lookout for club root. So we do have club root in Ontario. 
we have it in a few different regions and I try to talk about it as much as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll scout mid to late season by, you know, pulling up some plants or checking the wet areas of the field or areas where uh, the crops looks like it's maturing prematurely. So yeah, um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of pests in, in canola. And I think the other part of uh, education around scouting is there are always tons of insects in the field and most of them aren't bad guys. So uh, we wanna make good decisions about whether we really need to uh, apply an insecticide or not. It's one of my favorite jobs is scouting for insects. <laughs> As an entomologist myself, I oh. also very much like looking for insects. Um, yeah. So you mentioned a couple of the big names there, you know, club roots, um, the different weevils and beetles that might be infesting the fields. But is there any kind of big concern heading into this next growing season that you could perhaps touch on? Yeah, for sure. So always, like I said, want to mention right off that I'm hoping producers are scouting every acre every year for club root. Well, every field, every year. <laughs> um, and that's our best chance of battling that disease is catching it early. And when it does appear on your farm, you can take steps to keep those spore counts low. Um, there's one other uh, bad guy I'm on the lookout for this year. So um, contributing to a survey for pollen beetle, uh, which has been found in eastern Ontario and I think even in Quebec. So uh, my concern is that it is here. Um, so planning on um, serving some fields uh, in Timiskaming district for that insect. I've kind of with the pandemic was only able to kind of scout fields in our more Southern regions, but I think the real risk is up in Timiskaming district. So um, yeah, pollen beetle feed on, they lay their eggs in the flower buds and feed on pollen and um, really want to make sure we know if they've arrived. So yeah, looking forward to, to getting up North again. For sure. Just kind of getting that detection helps not only yourself to prepare uh, valuable knowledge for the producers, but also just like trying to get everyone aware bef before pollen beetle becomes an actual problem that, yeah, exactly. you know, could rival all the other big bads. So, yeah. uh, Megan, we've talked about some pretty great things today, but uh, going into this brand new uh, growing season, what are kind of the big takeaways that you want canola producers to know before they go out to their fields or if they're winter canola producers before they go back out and actually see what's been going on in their fields? Yeah, so of course, demand for canola is strong and prices are very strong. So I think we'll see an increase in acres this season and, uh, you know, careful management will help growers make the most of those strong prices, even in the face of high input costs. So um, I think it's important we always uh, continue to focus on doing a good job at seeding. So into ideal soil temperatures, uh, so we get vigorous growth in, in the early season, appropriate seeding depth uh, and good fertility. That vigorous early growth is key, especially in battling some of our insect pests. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I hope that we can apply adequate nutrients to at least 
uh, feed that crop for an average yield, even in spite of maybe some high input costs. But, um, uh, you know, I think it's possible to shave, say, nitrogen rates a little bit um, and still expect a good response. But yeah, uh, seeding into good condition, taking care at seeding, and then frequent scouting are the uh, general keys to success. For sure. Well, uh, Megan, thank you for joining me today. Um, if one of our listeners has a question about what we've talked about today, where can they uh, get a hold of you and you know ask their burning questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, you can email me at megan.moran at ontario.ca. So M-E-G-H-A-N dot M-O-R-A-N at ontario.ca. You could probably find me on Twitter at M-E-G-N M-O-R-A-N. Um, and we also have a website, uh, fieldcropnews.com, and I, I try to post uh, regular updates there. So a lot of the things we've talked about, and uh, such as pollen beetle um, and, and different topics are uh, posted on that website. Great. Well, Megan, thank you again for joining us on Inputs today. Awesome. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.